Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh! Hi there, angels. Uh, it's Kristen. I'm just sneaking in here at the top of the episode with my little producer hat on. It's a cute hat. Um, to tell you a few things about this episode of Angel on Top and also our upcoming episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer. First of all, this episode of Angel on Top marks Morgan Ludich's second appearance in the podcast space here with us. But this time, she's here to stay. We are so freaking excited to welcome Morgan to the podcast space as LaToya's permanent co-host on Angel on Top. Hell yes. Welcome, Morgan. Next, a heads up that as you do all of your vocal warm-ups in preparation for February 10th's release of Buffering the Vampire Slayers once more with Once More with Feeling, we wanted to alert you to a few upcoming events related to the musical extravaganza. First, Saturday, January 30th, we will be doing a live watch of Buffy Season 6, Episode 7, Once More with Feeling. That live watch is open to the public. It's totally free. It is going to be so much freaking fun. And it will be at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Again, that's Saturday, January 30th. To register, to join us, just head to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash once more with feeling. You can find all of the links and details for everything I'm about to tell you right there on that link. Following that live watch, we are going to be doing a special sneak peek of our upcoming podcast episode and all that we have been working on behind the scenes for literally months, years, I don't even know, in a hangout with all of our $10 plus patrons. That Q&A special hang is going to be right after the live watch Saturday, January 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. As you know, the episode itself is going to air on February 10th, and then we also want you to mark your calendars because we're going to be doing a very special live taping on Saturday, February 13th, Valentine's Eve at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All the information about what we're going to be doing in that live taping, the tickets for that, and everything else is at that link that I mentioned earlier, bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash once more with feeling. Lastly, before we roll over into the bell and begin this episode, please note that today's conversation on Angel Season 3, Episode 6, Billy, does contain themes of sexual violence. Now, I'm going to sound that bell, and I'm going to scoot on out of here. Make way for LaToya and Morgan. Welcome back to Angel on Top, a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of Angel one by one, spoiler-free, and in tandem with Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I'm your co-host, LaToya Ferguson. And I'm your other co-host, Morgan Ludich. And this week, we're watching Angel Season 3, Episode 6, Billy. Billy was written by Tim Minear and Jeffrey Bell and directed by David Grossman. It aired on the WB on October 29th, 2001. This is the one where everyone learned a little something about misogyny.
Angel on top, two hosts once more. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, you might remember me from the Carpe Noctum episode, um, and now I'm back on a decidedly less horny episode. I decided that um, the, the way to reward Morgan for being on an, an upsettingly horny episode where we felt weird about doing fuck watches is to make sure she becomes the official co-host on a decidedly unhorny episode where it's even harder to do a fuck watch. That's the person I am. That's the kind of friend I am, basically. And I just want to say thank you so much. Morgan, before we like really get into Billy, um, an episode that um you know people have a lot of thoughts about i have a lot of thoughts about um a a difficult episode to discuss an episode that um kristen um chickened out of being on um (laughs) do you want to talk about how far you are in like your angel re slash official watch uh yes i am almost all the way through season one i just have the finale left to watch i've been trying to kind of keep my separate continuities in whatever way that I can. So when I watched Fredless to catch up on this watch, I figured I would not watch more season one of Angel until I watched Billy and we did our episode. So I'm going to return to uh, Shanshu in LA uh, very soon. And uh, me and my boyfriend, Michael Chasen, are having a really good time watching it. I have some... uh, unique uh takes not unique they're not exciting i have some takes uh on angel and him being a rescuer of women which is very much what season one of angel feels like and this is definitely an episode about men and women and the way they relate to each other and um the way things are socialized and has a lot to dig into about like angel as a protector of I mean, at least Cordelia um, in this episode. So it should be fun to talk about. And so like season two was like really, really your blind spot, right? Yeah, I I truly like barely remember. I, I think I remember resenting him going dark um, a fair amount because, again, I was 15 and I just wanted him to kiss Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> so um when he was like being mean and like having sex with darla i was like absolutely not this is where is my beautiful husband <laughs> so this episode i think is great i always thought it was great points deducted for being written and directed by men yeah and then there's one scene i really want to talk about that uh from the imdb trivia i know it was specifically written by joss also who is not a credited writer on this, but, you know, he's Joss. Yeah, I mean, he gets to write whatever he wants for it. So, yeah, that makes sense. I'm excited to find out what scene that is as we get into it. You can probably it. guess what scene it is, too, because I also had kind of a feeling watching it, and then the trivia kind of affirmed it for me. I mean, like, is it, like, the final stuff on the plane tarmac with, like, Cordelia and, like, throwing, like, with the crossbow and stuff? No, it's the Lila-Cordelia scene. Oh, okay. yeah. Something I kind of wish had a female pass, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I, you know, just coming up in the world and like reading criticism, a lot of my criticism that I read um, was like on television without pity, rest in peace, v- a very snarky um, worldview of television. 
Whenever I say, you know, on, on a podcast, which is often that I'm not a mean person, usually someone like Morgan laughs at that because they, <laughs> they know me personally. But in general, what I mean when I say that is like I try very hard not to be like the snarky person I once was and once was in my criticism pre like this being my career, obviously. Mm-hmm. And but a lot of that uh, snarkiness came from just like the worldview of being a television without pity reader. And it's fascinating because like so I went back specifically because I remember that like recap on this episode, which gives the episode a C minus. Oh, wow. That's why for like like part of like why in my mind people poorly receive this episode, which I think is phenomenal and which I think time has even said like this is a great episode and i think as i mature as a woman you know as i'm no longer like you know a teenage girl mm-hmm. i can realize the, the the reality of a lot of the stuff in this episode so yeah. especially going back to that i'm just like no this is good this is right and this is not like unrealistic this is sadly very realistic what is happening in this episode yeah and i thought it just to get in a little bit to some of the global thoughts i was having about the episode like this is so much more of a nuanced version of Angel as like a good man in a bad world, especially specifically a good man in a bad mm-hmm. world, um, in a world that is like, you know, obviously uh, we're all suffering under the boot heel of the patriarchy. The patriarchy! <laughs> I think that the fact that he's not just scooping up a like often white, often beautiful, often delicately fragile in the most gorgeous way um, girl and like scooping her up from the train tracks and a mustache twirly guy goes, mm-hmm. hey, I don't know. Oh, goodbye. Like it, that's kind of what a lot of the cases of the week in season one kind of boiled down to for me oh. and why I felt like I was enjoying it a little bit less than I thought I might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as I, I've noted before, my straight fr- straight male friend, Chris, who was the one uh, good straight white male. Um, <laughs> when we would watch Angel, um, after the pilot of Angel, you know, what Tina, Tina is the girl he couldn't save. Like the, the next victim was also like a blonde white girl. And he's like, well, so every victim's a Tina is basically what he would say is <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, like every victim is this like waif who trusted the wrong like paunchy rich man chomping on a cigar and going, hey, like in my opinion, dames ain't good and you gotta have a tough hand with them. Like it, <laughs> to a certain extent, I kind of enjoyed the fact that it had this like old Hollywood like 30s-esque aesthetic in that way. Mm-hmm. But then I I kind of was waiting for it to evolve and felt like it didn't as much, which I will say watching season three of Angel along with season one's for this podcast and to listen to it when I was a fan of it and now that I'm a part of it, it um, I, I just I found the difference so striking. And I think I, I just appreciate the muddiness of this more and the idea mm-hmm. that Angel does the wrong stuff sometimes and that is understood as okay because he ultimately does the right thing. Like there are moments where he's a dick in this episode and he's acting kind of too rashly and he's not really 
listening to Cordy. And he's letting his emotions get the better of him, which is, you know, that's that's what makes him quote unquote human, honestly. Yeah. And that's what like I feel like makes him more authentic. And it makes him someone I feel like you can relate to a little bit more. And I, I don't know, there's also the issue of like their season one has so many like you can't have sex jokes like this idea of him as this like sexless protector and i was trying to see if there was any kind of line between the idea that like angel can't have sex has this kind of like lack of sexual like dire sexualness posed upon him that makes him like the perfect celibate protector of all of these women and something about that that just feels really icky to me like that you can it's only like imagine a the perfect idea that, guy if he like because he can't fuck like ugh. the idea that he's the safest bet even though everything we know about angel means he's shows he's not the safest bet like even Corey doesn't think he's the safest bet even when she makes those jokes which just again feels more realistic authentic lived in honest and i think it makes the friendship they have and the love for each other they have, which whether you want to talk about if that's like platonic friendship love or romantic sexy times love, um, feel real and feel like something you as the viewer can buy into and understand and like hold and care about, um, which rules. Like I think the show has benefited so much from getting more complicated and darker, not in like a grim, dark, bad way that I don't think is interesting, but like mm -hmm. in a way that I think is nuanced. You can be lighter when you're darker at the same time too, because you mm -hmm. know, you got to balance it all out. Dark in the good way, which is not like the kind of like darkness we, we like mock in general, especially in this particular episode, because I think that Grossman's direction plays a lot with darkness mm -hmm. and in a way I'm like really excited to talk about previously on Angel. Fred is trading one K for another. Aww. The visions aren't coming from the powers. Aww. Oh no, Angel's released this dude from hell. Ooh. Angel, it's just business. I'll kill you next time. Hot. Um, which, by the way, um, so I spent the day watching Japanese wrestling with my mother because that's the kind of person I am. Oh, yes. But when she was leaving and I had like Angel starting and she heard that part in the previous leaves where Angel like threatened uh, Lila, like next time you fuck with Cordelia, I'll kill you. She's like, that's right. <laughs> hell yes. Uh, maybe I should get my mom to like chime in with some uh, Buffy and Angel opinions because she does have them. I would love to hear them. My mom's a Spike girl. Um, she loves Drusilla. Mm. She loves uh, Kendra the Vampire Slayer, actually. All yeah. of these are phenomenal takes. So we open on Angel tra training Cordy, which is a sweet introduction to this episode. Yes, I am looking respectfully. I, because I, I know you, I, my first note is Angel Training Courtney, there is respectful touching. <laughs> I um, have written in parentheses, hot, hot, hot. Um, I was so excited by this scene. Um, people training other people to fight stuff is my uh, romantic genre show kryptonite. So I was weak in the knees for this. I get so weak in the knees. I can hardly speak. That's some SWV for all of you white Scoobies, in case you don't know. I didn't know. And in case you're Morgan. Yeah, that was for me. Thank you. <laughs> um. So I, at this point from Fredless on, I was like officially watching Angel Week to Week. So I strongly remember the promo for this episode where a good portion of it was like the angel training Cordy and then it's like in the go team part. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is, I like this. I like this. 
like what's happening here literally from the opening her smile uh when he asks if she trusts him is it's a good smile oh they are so like warm with each other and lovely and again being in my like point in the show in season one the the affection has increased by leaps and bounds and the trust and the easiness and it also just makes Angel so much warmer and it's so nice that Cordy can really like push him on this yes. when he's like yeah uh, I'll teach you enough so that you can kind of stave a guy off until it's time for me to finish him off and she's like no because he he genuinely cares what she thinks about him and how she sees him mm-hmm. very yeah. much so even when it's like shallow angel where it's like he's talking about how he's gonna save her and he he's worried that she thinks that he won't come to save her yeah and that that uh killed me what a like a beautiful little moment that is when he's like you don't really think i would and she's like no i know that like cordelia knows that angel cares about her and wants to protect her but she's smart enough to know, one, she could be fighting him someday, which he, you know, the goth little boy that he is, loves to remind us all that he's bad sometimes. <laughs> so he should know that first of all. But also that, like, she also just wants to be capable of this on her own. And, as, like, as a woman who believes that everybody should have a, like, basic knowledge of self-defense and feel like they should be able to protect themselves because it's something that's been really important to me throughout my whole life. I can't say like how empowering it is just to have the sense that you can basically take care of yourself. And, you know, again, I'm not like a black belt or anything, but I I think you just feel so much more different when you can do that. And it's great to see Cordelia in that place because, you know, this is her fifth season of being on supernatural shows and we honestly haven't seen her throw down as much so it, it's nice her sixth sixth <laughs> oh god it is her sixth jeez math and um yeah it's nice to see her like want to do this it's such a nice piece of growth for her yeah and you know she she knows that like Angel and Wes and Gunn won't always be there to protect her. So she just, just in case. Uh, but, but also the thing is that she doesn't realize what Angel's saying when he says, like, you don't think I'll be there. Like him specifically. We talk about how um, Angel is kind of obtuse in some ways, but like Cordelia's also a little obtuse. Um, later when she's talking about what to Wesley, he's like, maybe we should all just end up together. She's like, no, we should probably just be alone. Like, girl, <laughs> no. Oh, that moment made me laugh so hard because, again, I had uh, forgotten um, what was to come. (laughs) (laughs) Courtney is like Sunnydale through and through, so she can hold her own because, honestly, being from the Hellmouth, you can hold your own. Even fucking Xander could hold his own in L.A. because he is from Sunnydale, you know? Oh, yeah, she's tough as hell. Getting actual training, that is a very important step. Yes. I think that a lot of... The obvious, like, familiarity with Cordelia and Angel, you know, comes also from the fact that, like, David and Charisma have just, like, they've been there since day one, too. Because you have to, like, remember, because I, I feel like people, I don't know, don't acknowledge or not, like, they are literally number one and two on the call sheet. Like, yeah. in those WB backlots, it's, it was always David and Charisma there. Mm-hmm. 
the kind of chemistry that obviously you expect um, of uh, Bones and Booth on the, the television show Bones, but like <laughs> bringing up Bones just to make me laugh. <laughs> we had a long discussion about how there are um, more episodes of Bones than there are Bones in the body, and we think that that's wrong. They should have stopped at 206 episodes and said no more because this is how many bones there are on the body. We looked it up. <laughs> Just uh, a little glimpse behind the scenes. And now to not have fun anymore because we are at Wolfram and Hart. Oof. And Lila is panicking because Billy is in her office with Gavin. Ugh. Shooting the shit. Um, Billy went for a walk apparently for three days Enter the congressman who looks like a poor man's Christopher McDonald, honestly. <laughs> Fair. Um, I, again, in this scene, I hate that they're making me feel a lot of sympathy for Lila because she's dealing with, like, awful work sexism. Like, mm -hmm. she's a bad person. I don't want to feel bad for her. I don't want to relate to her because she... she's dealing with a condescending male coworker. Mm -hmm. Because it's literally what we're dealing with right now in the world. And she literally sold her soul to the devil. Like, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And she just keeps doubling down on it. She even says, like, she's not like Lindsay, who at least felt bad about what he did. Yeah. And so after his chat with Billy and Billy is taken away by not Christopher McDonald. Sorry to this man, but that's what's happening here. <laughs> We, Gavin's passive misogyny that we've been talking about for these past few episodes becomes very, very active. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he, when he's just saying, like, the classic just chauvinist bullshit that Lila's like, come on. She's, she's like, at least Lindsay knew how to. And she's going to say, like, verbally spar. But before she yeah. can, she is physically attacked by Gavin. Yeah. Uh, not great, Bob. Um, yeah, he like yanks her by the hair and throws her into some glass shelving. And it's like horrifying. It's like I, I think like the scene is really well done and shot and choreographed in that the like it's such an upsetting thing. But like the way the temperature kicks up like so automatically like that it goes from kind of what you'd expect, like the harsh and shitty way he treats her to something it, that has escalated quite further is so like shocking and visceral so i like it's great but god it is um not a fun time to watch i will say um david grossman who directed it he directed a lot of um female-led series so like i i, I give, like i think he took a lot of care um he also directed a few, a few episodes of bones which is also again a female-led series because bones is the woman you guys mm -hmm. um devious maids uh desperate housewives so we worked mm -hmm. with mark jury a lot um 911 and 911 lone star your shows hell yeah hell yeah some mm -hmm. why women kill mm -hmm. some 12 monkeys yeah mm -hmm. um he had like a really prolific career so he did a revenge episode oh, there so we go. yeah I, I i think he i would i would hope at least that like you know He's kind of the director that, like, a, a women, like, feel comfortable with, like, behind the camera. Because I think he, he took a lot of care with this episode. Yeah, I would I would definitely hope so. And it, I, I thought that, you know, it's, it's, like, content that I think people can find, like, triggering and upsetting. But I... I definitely didn't feel like it ever edged into something like explo exploitative, which I think that sometimes when shows handle this subject matter, it can get like there can be some kind of like 
vicarious thrill seeking that feels like it's coming from behind the scenes to like make this kind of behavior in some way like sexy or interesting or dangerous or provocative but it's it's covered as just plain wrong yeah for this and i appreciated that like i imagined a version of like original charms like doing this and it'd be a very bad version and like um smallville as i will i'll mention of course to you morgan um had a, a similar episode which wasn't necessarily misogyny it was like kind of an like an inhibition like removing thing for like men and women so it wasn't just that it had like a similar kind of episode and even that still like it doesn't reach like the levels like the heights of this episode you know yeah fair enough yeah i think it's it's a really tough thing to try to handle so i, th- I thought like they did a pretty dang good job especially given the like when it came out for the for its time also this feels really progressive yeah and now angel the tv show a show i'm not gonna see the whole fucking thing uh but that's where we are right now (laughs) um and then i pull a morgan and literally scream at gun and angel playing video games while fred (laughs) watches good i was dying i i had such a good time they're so cute watching is like angel was genuinely having fun playing video games and not like being old man angel where he's like i don't understand how this works and um i honestly bet that uh, xander is pissed that angel never played video games with him (laughs) i don't know xander has never really liked angel he might have been because if angel had beaten xander in a video game xander would have thrown such a tantrum i feel like or he would have just loved if he, he beat angel in a video game that's the thing he would love that, and it would be like, okay, Xander, like, congratulations on beating the 200-year-old man <laughs> at Pong. And I will just say, um, it is a testament to Jay, David, and Amy in the scene, just the way, because, like, they're not playing anything, obviously. They yeah. don't even show the screen. They don't even pull an OC and show the screen. I think that Jay and, and David are, like, playing very well, that like we're playing a game and it doesn't look like goofy and like amy is playing very well that she's watching and enjoying this like i think she's playing it very well it's like oh there are so many little acting things i really love in this episode yes i love uh small um interesting actor tricks like especially like people who are great at improvising like the other half of a telephone call and like making you really believe they're talking to someone um actors good question mark they're okay <laughs> Um, but while this is happening, um, Wesley and Cordy are in the kitchen because we're at Wesley's apartment and uh, Wesley's actually praising Cordy for taking the, the initiative to train with Angel. And she like he calls it inspiring and he says he's proud of her and I want to cry. I also wanted to cry. It was so lovely, especially like, again, from my season one, like, you know, perspective. Jeez, uh, have they come a long way. And even Mm -hmm. from, you know, their first season together in Buffy, like the mutual respect, the how lived in their relationship feels, which I'm sure is just an extension of, you know, actors knowing each other for that long. But geez, it's it just does feel so earned. They've both grown up so much and you love to see it. And but this is also when we realize um, that Wes invited Fred to an intimate dinner for two. And then he ended up inviting everyone and Cordelia was the only one who realized what had happened. Wes. Wes's game is almost as bad as mine. You have a boyfriend. Shut the fuck up. 
But I was, this is where I wrote in my notes that Wes likes her. Uh, how cute. You know, there have been like significant glances and things like that. But um, this is our first time getting it like fully established. And it's nice. Cordelia and Wes kind of transition into talking about like office romances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um because he's worried that the last thing any of them should be doing is coupling with each other. Uh, the odds of them finding someone else who could deal is not, like, they're slim. And you know, the thing yeah. is, like, Wes had Virginia in season two and who, like, her father was a warlock, but, like, I don't think she practices. And eventually she broke up with him because of mm-hmm. the danger of his job. So, like, yeah. even though she's aware of this world, she still couldn't deal. Yeah, and I mean, she points out, she's like, because he's like, well, you know, in a normal workplace... It, you know, you wouldn't encourage this. And she's like, well, but also this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Like on the other side, she's like, you know, only we are going to be able to understand the things that we as a team go through. And th- that's when we have that moment of like them both reaching complete opposite <laughs> conclusions of Wes being like, so we're all meant for each other. And Cordelia being like, so we should all never, ever have sex with each other <laughs> ever. <laughs> and you know what? I think Wes is right. And also maybe the solution is a Wes gun Fred thruple, actually. You know, I love a thruple as a solution to a love triangle. People are not brave enough to do it in basically anything I've ever watched. And you still haven't watched you, me, her though, right? I have not. <laughs> I just, because I just finally finished the final season and first week. Cordy says, Wesley, if you like her, tell her. And then Cordy has a terrible, terrible vision. Oof. Uh, it's a yeah. very painful vision that she is experiencing a man hacking his woman partner into pieces, basically. That's not great. I think this episode has a lot of what Fred is like Fred's purposes too, because like she's mm-hmm. able to basically calculate uh, the convenience source and like the probably probably the right one if they let her keep going. Yeah, I like honestly, I was just like, don't stop her. Well, I mean, until gun- Cordelia revealed why she was stopped, but also gun like translates what she's saying to gun can gun speaks Fred basically. Uh, which is so, so cute of him <laughs> and so sweet for the two of them. Yeah, but apparently, yeah, the murder happened a week ago. And Corey's like, why the why would the powers that be show me this now? And then we have um, Wesley with a crime scene file because this episode has, um, in a post-Fredless world, Wes is like showing that he's actually the detective. of. With, he has so many sources. What the fuck? It's so sweet. I was like, good job as new boss, buddy. Should, we, uh, I Found guess we in that pavement. A new jingle, which is Detective Wesley. <laughs> Sorry, <Da-da>, Angel. <laughs> that's, that's the Brooklyn Nine-Nine theme song, Morgan. That's a copyright infringement, actually. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm not good at inventing um, melodies, so I'm going to leave that to, you know, anyone else <laughs> literally anyone else uh but yeah sorry detective angel you no longer exist because detective wesley is on the case um oh, he yeah. says i did the old-fashioned way i bought it and he has a source <laughs> with tabloid connections like the sources they should have yeah it to- like totally makes sense like a nice uh easy solvable bit of writing there yeah <laughs> so the guy who killed his partner was like um, he says she wouldn't listen to him. He was trying to get her to stop talking. And the guy even confessed to doing what he did. Mm-hmm. So God's like, why the vision? This happened a week, like a week ago too. And obviously it's all solved. And then Angel sees the pictures 
and he realizes why it happened. Um, they see, see the guy Angel broke out of the Hell Dimension, and of course Angel and Wesley and Gunn all recognize him. And Corey's like, who the fuck's this guy? Uh, cut, cut to Cordy and her very, very 2001 jeans <laughs> spiraling after being told who it is. Yeah, and she's just blaming herself completely for all of like the havoc that uh, Billy is wreaking. And I do really appreciate that Angel's like, well, one, I did it. And two, it's not even my fault. Yeah. Like, it's Lila's. It's Wolfram and Hart's fault. Like, they're the people that are doing this and enabling this guy's behavior, not us. The fact that Angel, the king of self-flagellation, is like, it's not even my fault. That's how you know (laughs) it's not your fault either. Yeah, that's, uh, I as a uh, generally guilty and anxious pers- person, I really appreciated uh, Angel's doing that. I was like, wow, well, that solves it. Felt very calm. <laughs> it's also worth noting in this episode, which I, it's probably happened in previous episodes, but I, I'm only really realizing it now because it, like, it helps a lot with the narrative. Cordelia's wearing the necklace that Angel brought her back um, in Heartthrob. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, because I, I realized it because it like look how I brought her breast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Angel immediately he goes to Lila's place and she's already very jumpy, mm-hmm. uh, but he can't get in. And uh, great, uh, like the great use of like shadows and darkness not to reveal what she looks like right now. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, "Billy never touched me, and you can't touch him." She reveals herself, and she is fucked up. Just. Like, yeah, looking uh, quite hurt um, and bruised up and just like, you know, shake it. Not our usual Lila. And she's trying Mm -hmm. to put on a good show and be confident and do the banter and be the vicious bitch that she is. But it's, you know, it's clearly a ghost of uh, her normal self. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she talks about how Billy is related to Congressman Nathan Blim. But yeah, they're basically the Kennedys, but like super evil. So Wolfram and Hart is obviously the big bad of like Angel the series. Mm-hmm. And he can obviously fight them and their clients because a lot of them are just like obvious monsters. But like even without Wolfram and Hart, these these terrible people would still have their privilege and be in charge. And like Angel can't really fight that besides just, you know, killing humans. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I appreciate the, like, adultness of the problems in Angel, like, feel, feeling very differently than the, like, kind of more, like, coming-of-age problems that Buffy faces, which are a lot about, like, feelings and issues and stuff like that. But I think this deals with, like, privilege and class in a way that the show doesn't – that Buffy doesn't always. And I really enjoyed that. Like, the the evil corporation and the fact that it wields power through uh, capitalism. Uh, kind of rules that's why angel allowing so many high-powered lawyers from Wolfman heart to get murdered by darla and drusilla ultimately still does nothing mm-hmm. great we live in a great society everything's good <laughs> but yeah he like you can't hack away at systemic issues angel that's the thing yeah they're they're very hard to change when you're just one person mm-hmm. And, like, Lila brings up how she knows that Angel, you know, wants to kill her. But she's not just going off that vision thing. She's also still going off Carpe Noctum. So she's, Mm -hmm. like, really on edge about Angel. And he doesn't know 
Yeah, especially like the idea that she experienced like a like kind of like I mean, I guess not kind of like sexualized violence like from Angel. Like that's a horrifying position to be in for her. And um yeah, I, I think it's it the scenes played like beautifully by like Stephanie Romanoff is great in uh, this whole episode. Yeah, I really think you like the iciness, the the fear, but also like the, the self preservation on top of it. I just think she she's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he points out her hands are shaking, and she's like, "Stay with my client," and just slams the door on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the boys then go to the Blim Estate, uh, and they're trying to figure out how to get it in because there's a huge gate. And then Angel just uses Angel, and he jumps over a gate and. Uh, Gun says to Wesley, "So, want to go next?" <laughs> I loved Gun's pitch that, like, do we all go in like dressed as security guards or something? And I was just like, I want to see them all in coveralls with like fake mustaches. That's, that's very season one. That is what would happen in season one. We are here to fix the plumbing. <laughs> like, I wanted them to be like Mario and Luigi. <laughs> that is literally. Um, from the plot of Saved by the Bell, Hawaiian style. <laughs> Good. Then then we know it works. <laughs> so Angel is skulking as Billy's clearly just on the phone, just standing with his, his glass windows all around. Uh, and then Billy just stares directly at him. So it's like, Angel's dramatic ass throws a chair through a window. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when has a, a problem not been solved by throwing a chair through a window for Angel? Um, never. Uh, I love uh, that he just does it. Um, what a chaotic uh, emo boy. I love Angel. And I love that uh, Billy is such a smarmy piece of shit. Like, he's immediately just like, I haven't hit a woman. Like, I'm not bad. Like, <sighs> I, I, uh, I want to punch this man. <laughs> I want to hit this man. He is not a good dude. And he says, and he gets such glee out of like the beat change of going, yeah, I don't like hurt women. I just like to watch. And I was like, oh, like it is really like, ugh. it uh, it gives me goosebumps. It uh, makes me very uncomfortable. And it's it's a really good performance. And um, but it's just a really unpleasant one to watch. Hi. <laughs> don't understand really so um billy is played by an actor named justin uh, shilton i'm surprised he hasn't got like he never got more work basically Mm -hmm. i feel like he weaponizes his like um i'm just a nice guy thing very well yeah i think it's it's a very like i think it's a very nuanced performance it's a performance that's very grounded in a real type of guy which is, I think, the best kind of villain performances on both Buffy and Angel are the ones where no matter how despicable the person is, they feel like a person, like, you know, a person, even if they're a monster or a demon or whatever, but Mm -hmm. they feel like someone you could meet. They feel like they have characteristics like that. And I, I just think he is being a lot of awful people I've seen, you know? It's yeah, scary. he's he's very very familiar. Yeah, um, and so the cops like show up. They uh, seem to. They're like, oh hey, this. They they don't arrest Angel for throwing a window through uh, for th- breaking that huge window, um, but they do arrest Billy 
who like touches the cop and we see like um the cop's like skin glow red under his fingers mm-hmm. which is you know like that's the a effect yeah decent effect and he's like hey i'll come quietly please don't you know don't cuff me and i'm like jesus it's like a combination of uh his powers on the officer sanchez who like who glows and then also mm-hmm. his right white privilege that he's like allowed to not be cuffed at all and the black female detective is like okay yeah it's yeah it must be nice to be able to tell the cops that you're going to be nice so there's actually no need for handcuffs because he doesn't have like persuasion powers in that way that's just his white privilege that's happening there And I would also assume like his immense wealth as well, like yeah. in that he's like technically like a Kennedy-esque figure that probably helps too. But uh, either way, it's gross and bad. Also gross and bad is uh, Officer Sanchez beating the shit out of his female partner who's driving. Yeah. Um, not only is it uh, gross and violent and bad, it, I don't think it's very smart to um, <laughs> hurt the person who's driving the big metal moving weapon you're inside yeah but uh this power is not apparently smart mm-hmm. um so and fuck billy who who ends up like he does get hurt from this accident as we see yes he does get hurt he does like uh it it draws blood and he like daggers away as we later learn so Wes also has a contact at the city morgue we learn in this episode again detective wesley his rolodex is getting some work (laughs) yeah um so it confirms the info about uh billy's tip that he sent in about the body which is what got him arrested angel realizes billy especially after being in the hell world likes just be out in the world creating this chaos that's why he 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 went like he went on a walk for three days that's why Mm -hmm. he like i want to be arrested just to not be cooped up in his palatial estate which is where his family keeps him because they as we learn later like they all know how you deal with billy yeah that part uh i am excited to get into and talk about like the innate uh privilege of that kind of thing and how gross it is but yeah this is where angel's like raring to go and is like okay i'm gonna go you know deal with this guy and cordelia's like hey 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 what if we pumped the brakes and you you know thought about it first He's like, yeah, she's like, what if he lays the whammy on you? And he's like, he won't be conscious enough to try. He's like, I'm just gonna use my fists. Um, thank you, angry boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Fred's listening to police scanners. Like, well, he's not. There's been an accident, basically. So you're not even gonna find him in jail because, like, he's he's like about to break him out of jail just so he can do what he needs to do to Billy, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And then I guess they go. Um, to downtown LA to the arts district or something. That's what I. That's what I saw from, from uh, my watch. You could tell that's me. What it seems like no. It's it seems downtowny. Yeah, and Gun and Wes are on the scene, and uh, they decide that Gun should go to the hospital to, pr- to pull the sick relative card to get some mm-hmm. info. Uh, Angel's also there, and he smells blood because he's you know he's a vampire. In case you didn't know what 
Oh, I'm sorry, Morgan. Did I spoil you? Now I've learned that for the first time, and I'm I'm upset. I thought he was a nice, <laughs> red-blooded American male, and I'm furious. Should probably call your senator to let let them know we we won't let this stand. <laughs> yeah, if we could just stop recording right now, so I could go do that, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> So this is something I never really noticed, I think, watching this episode. But, like, Wes actually touches, like, Billy's blood hamper before he uses the paper bag. He touches it, and mm-hmm. then he puts the paper bag over it. Which I always thought, like, oh, maybe it seeped through the paper bag. But no, he touches the blood. Not wise of him. Like, I, I, this guy, like, we've made it clear that his touch is what does this. Like, you use a paper bag. Why are you touching it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, wouldn't that contaminate the evidence? Like, even, like, aside from the worries you'd have about uh, Billy and how his powers work and stuff? Like, come on, man. Wesley, what are you doing? This is Bad not science. This is not a very Detective Wesley of you. Meanwhile, at the hotel, Cordy is stocking up on weapons. And first of all, like, what you doing? Yeah. Uh, and Cordy tells her an errand, which, uh, you know what? Fred says that later, and Wesley gives her a shit. But, like, that's what Cordy says, so... Mm-hmm. But yeah, Fred's like, Fred is aware enough at this point to be like, no, don't do this. Because she knows what she's she's about to do. Why she's stocking up on weapons. And yeah. Cordy just says, how can I not? And leaves. Uh, again, which is like kind of like the stereotypical angel move a little bit. Like the tortured, mm-hmm. like moved by a purpose. It's my duty kind of stuff. And meanwhile, Angel is also like, like, you know, he's like, he can't stop Mm -hmm. and wait for the analysis in the blood like he's so eager to keep tracking billy and to like stay on top of it like there is kind of this single-minded desire just to eliminate this guy that they're both sharing and this kind of like anger and heat that um i mean the episode seems to like talk about a lot in men but it's really interesting to see cordy and angel kind of parallel in that Mm -hmm. way when they're usually always like opposites because they follow the same beats that they just do it in opposite order because obviously Angel, he goes to Lila first and then Cordy goes to Lila. But um, Cordy gets to Chris Palaha's character first before Angel does, even though we don't see it. Detective Cordy. <laughs> but yeah, so as soon as Cordy leaves, Wesley arrives and he's like, I want to figure out the demon lineage with the blood. And I know, like, uh, that him being strangely strangely sweet is already actually creepy. Yeah, at first it, it, like, before I remembered uh, what I had blocked out about this episode, I was like, oh, this is sweet. Like, he's really, like, excited to see Fred. Like, that's because he's got a little crush. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, a sign of uh, bad things to come, I guess. Did we talk about how you blocked this episode out? Do you want to talk more about that and how you didn't know what what you were in for i just uh, yeah i i we probably talked about that off mic i just totally forgot the wesley stuff that happens in this episode where he you know like affected by the whammy that is billy's powers is just like awful and violent and sexist and predatory uh towards fred until it started and then i was like oh right and remembered all of these things about wesley a character i really like so i assumed i uh shoved them to the back of my mind so that i could continue to remember the good times uh and i was uh full of dread uh when it began and for uh most of the duration of it (laughs) 
Yeah, because you didn't know why Kristen, both Kristen and I were just like, okay, we're doing Billy. Yeah. And we're just like very hesitant. And you're like, oh no. Because I think you had a feeling that it was like a bad episode. I'm like, no, it's not a bad episode. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's very, very intense, but I thought it was it was really good. And it was, like, very sad to see Wesley like that. And, and we can talk about it later, but, like, yeah, it's a it's a really upsetting episode. But I think it's affected. Like, it's, I don't think it's upsetting for upsetting's sake. It's, it is saying something and trying to reach a kind of, like, narrative catharsis that feels real and earned and good. Mm-hmm. So Cordy walks right into Lila's place because she's not a vampire lady. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And she wants to know about Billy. And then they have like this back and forth that I think is really good, which and they talk about fashion, which makes sense for them. And it it, like works. And then and then like the cut to like uh, like Billy Blim makes people crazy, like the the hard cut. And I'm like, Joss wrote this scene, didn't he? (laughs) Well, see, you were thinking about Joss during this, but I was just thinking about Lila when she talks about, like, what happened to her and working at Wolfram and Hart. She says that she knew the risk. And I was like, you knew the risk, but you had to work for Wolfram and Hart. Um, Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, It... (laughs) Also, Cordelia immediately being like, whatever, you just cried. <laughs> Look, if you're gonna, you know, reach into your arsenal and pull out your mean girl attitude, Lila's a pretty fair person to use it on. Yeah. She's evil. Mm-hmm. She is a very bad person. Again, in these times we live in, we we can't just like, you know, make excuses for these characters. Because I think that at least with Lindsay, they gave us enough shading to make us realize, like, again, he was conflicted. He came from, like, humble means. We don't know any such thing with Lila, you know? Yeah. And I I will say another thing that's interesting is the way that Lila explains Billy's powers. She talks about it being a, like, bringing out a primordial misogyny. Because Buffyverse loves a primordial or primal thing, that's they love to, to to make that the reason for things. Yes, and this is this is the one thing that that I think kind of rubs me actually kind of the wrong way about this episode is I, I wonder is it implying that like men are inherently misogynistic and that that's not something that is like taught by society and i don't know if that's something i like agree with the idea of like a primal misogyny is is that saying that all men have that and have to contend with that like and it's something innate that they're born with because i mean it seems like so that's what she believes but like i feel like all of the reactions and the, the way it works is based on amplifying something that's already happening right now with the men that are happening like the men like so for example the convenience store thing like i'm assuming this man was already upset with his wife and then that was amplified for whatever reason a male cop who's made to ride shotgun and whatever Mm. probably possibly inferior to his like female partner yes also feeling that wesley is feeling like when we see Wesley, he's feeling kind of like in a, a beta kind of kind of way. Like he's feeling kind of impotent. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's being amplified. 
gun when he, he ha- has it and like he you know, gun fights it but like mm-hmm. because everything's amplified when it bursts out it is also like very aggressive in a way like and kind of like the adrenaline of the situation too also affecting mm-hmm. it yeah so, so sorry to counter that with two points that should immediately be cut but one you're saying everything is heightened correct <laughs> yes you asshole and two <laughs> The only metaphor that like that makes sense, and I think that's like a fair and, through line. But, like the primordial saying, threw me off. Yeah, like like Gavin, like I said, like his passive misogyny just becomes active, basically. You know, right? So it's the idea that it's the only way I can frame this in my mind, and I'm apologizing that it's this is the way that I know. Um, like Cialis works from the film <laughs> That Awkward Moment, which is like it doesn't. It's not just a pill that gives you a boner right away. It's a pill that, when you want a boner, gives you you know a super boner or whatever. Correct. That that's seeming to be like once you ex- once you express any kind of misogyny, <laughs> that misogyny becomes super misogyny. <laughs> sure, Morgan. Sure. I, let's allow this example from the Mackenzie Davis classic, That Awkward Moment. Look, if I watched Zac Efron lay down on a toilet and pee, it better have been for something. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I just know I think that I think that's an important line to draw. And I appreciate you going through it with me in that way, because like the implication that like it, and it's kind of similar in some of the like werewolf mythology that um, Buffy explores, I feel like that like men are inherently beastly and have to contend with this thing in a way that like maybe women are not, which I do feel like is kind of sexist and like puts women up on this like unfair pedestal, like as if we never have to deal with any negative or ugly Except emotions. For- Veruca, but she accepts it because Veruca, you know, sucks. Oh, Veruca's a cool girl. (laughs) Veruca is the ultimate cool girl. Veruca's a cool werewolf. (laughs) She's not a regular werewolf. She's a cool werewolf. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I think I I thought there was something to look out for there, but I appreciate the idea that it's like whatever you have, it turns the volume up on it. Yeah. And you know, when you live in a patriarchal society, you are. It is hard to not be uh, affected by it and internalize it in some ways. It makes sense for her to say, like, you know, this is what he does, but, like, this doesn't necessarily mean that's exactly what he does. It seems more mm-hmm. like he just amplifies it, which it makes also sense why it eventually doesn't work for Angel. Yes, which I do appreciate. And I like that. So she explains that, like, Billy's touch works differently on different people. Like, it can take a longer time for the negative behavior to manifest like sometimes it can be right away and sometimes mm. it can be you know hours and hours yeah which and makes she, you very nervous about wesley yeah and but this is also why she's like she's trying to plant that like oh angel's gonna be a thing but this is also why it doesn't take that long for um it it takes longer for um gun i would say is just because in guns able to fight it because most of guns like issues are like self-hatred related anyway mm-hmm. he's not dealing with that kind of bullshit because he's more just internalizing other things Ugh. My poor boy. boy. But then I like the core of the, like the, the, the place that Cordy and Lila find common ground is the idea that they both believe that no woman should have to be helpless against like, you know, like male power and, uh, same. (laughs) 
I also think no one should have to be helpless from anyone's power. But, you know, if we got to go this way, let's go this way. <laughs> let's go this way. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now Angel is in Hollywood, I believe, based on just vague sites. And we have these fucking New York taxi drivers in L.A. in the scene. It, re- it was very New York-y, and I was like, ah, yes, the uh, vibrant community of cab drivers in Los Angeles, which, to be fair, I have only lived in Los Angeles in a largely, like, post-Uber and Lyft world, in which case that is very much a culture. David Burnett plays, like, Angel's silent seething at these men so well. Like, yes. He is it- disgusted by them. And it's really interesting to think about the fact that this is motivated by, like, you know, now that we know that he actually can't be affected by Billy's powers, fully just, like, anger at these people that is, like, fully warranted. Like, fully just, like, anger about the way they're talking about women, the way they are talking about someone who is a victim of, like, awful behavior. Like, he is 
he is he helps the helpless and they are shitting on the helpless right now and it's it's really it it makes me really like angel like i i that's the kind of superhero i relate to and you know maybe he shouldn't uh rough this guy up but uh you know maybe maybe he should rough this guy up because (laughs) you know what he's walking here (laughs) we're all walking here Um, what is this actor's name that is at the party who is in Wonder Woman 1984, who I like? This is our beloved Christopher Palaha. We love Christopher Palaha. Looking quite good at what I called a pool party, not because they're at a swimming pool, but because there's a pool table there and people are playing pool. Yes. Uh, so Chris Palaha, besides being in Wonder Woman 1984, this is his first role, actually, which is it's really sweet. Baby's first role. And he does great. Like, it, he doesn't seem like green as an actor. Like, I've he when seems you said like established. That, yeah. Yeah. When you said that, I was kind of watching for it to be, you know, a performance that was maybe like a little weaker or a little unsure. But no, like he's playing a very like confident, relaxed, privileged dude. And, like, I think it's hard to look relaxed and powerful on screen, especially if you're, like, the new guy, um, you know, who's just there for a day to do your quick scene with David Boreanaz, who could probably be intimidating. But he really owns it. Like, it's a, I think it's a really nice little performance. I'm happy <laughs> feeling so I got sunshine in a bag. In a bag. I'm useless. Nothing the future is coming on. on. <laughs> that's how you know. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you know they're at a cool party. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. And 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 I agree. And I love that Billy shows up, immediately fucks the vibes, um, because he's terrible to have at your party. And he's instantly just like not into this couple that's making out hard on the couch. He's he's immediately like, let me ruin this, like making out, like, fuck you, dude. You you fucking Mormon. No offense to Mormons, <laughs> but like that's the vibe. It's very like he like it's interesting because like there's a version of his powers where like he is like gross and like really for lack of a better word like rapey but instead he's very like against sex which is an interesting uh take and i think a a helpful and appreciative one in terms of drawing some lines there but yeah he's uh like not happy people are being happy because it's not like a characterization of him like uh being asexual and like demonizing asexual people mm-hmm. because like being asexual doesn't mean like you're a oh, god sex. No. yeah <laughs> he's just a piece yeah, of shit this guy just sucks and he doesn't like anyone having a nice time i think so apparently on the commentary track for this episode uh writers tim Manier and jeffrey bell explained that um billy's backstory is that his father raped a good demon and the result was billy very unfortunate because you like you obviously you want to know what Billy's deal is, but I feel like it's good not to have that. It, it's the episode is fine as is without even knowing the actual backstory for why he's a demon. Yeah. Which is why I think like it's fine to reveal that kind of thing in like a commentary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just uh, very dark. <laughs> yeah, especially in the series Angel, because you have like a lot of half demons, like the whole Doyle thing. You don't need to know the backstory of why someone is half demon or whatever it is. 
And I think especially with a villain and especially with a villain that is kind of like dispatched of so quickly, because I think a lot of the time it's it's scarier not to know where someone like Billy comes from. We have Wes and Fred looking at Billy's blood. And I wrote in my notes, like Alexis performances here, like explains a lot of why he plays such fucking douches post Angel. Yes. It's weird that this ends up being such a Wesley showcase episode. Um, Again, like the idea that like this is an episode written by men. And in this way, at the end, I was like, are we proposed like putting forth that like the ultimate victim of all of this was Wesley? Because maybe that's that's not good. But it something very bad does happen to him here and that he's taken over by this. And this is where my notes get very chaotic and are filled with a lot of no's and bad and not good and stop. (laughs) So like the way they build um, Wes just kind of like the like slowly his behavior starting to get worse and worse and worse and Fred's like fear. It just like, I don't know. I, I I am very reticent to do that. Like every woman has experienced this and make my experience everyone else's. But I, I think most women have an experience of like being alone with a man and there being the tension of like, okay, that they just said something weird to me. And is that something weird to me that is going to be the weirdest thing that happens all night and they or they didn't mean it or they meant it but that's the worst thing they meant and said or is this scenario about to take like a Mm -hmm. more unfortunate turn where I'll have to like put my foot down or get the hell out of here or something like that and I thought that that the feeling of that like precariousness in that situation I think Amy Acker plays really well and Alexis Denisoff plays the other side of it really well. And I thought it was just scripted really well. So, um, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And as much as uh, the season, you know, we talk about how Fred's kind of in a, like a victim position or like kind of just, you know, a weak thing. I think that Fred plays this all very well where she realizes something is wrong and she's like trying to get out of the situation and obviously it escalates because, for, like, Wesley has been whammied. But, you know, yeah. she is very aware and it's not, like, playing her just, like, as oblivious to what's going on. Because, she, she's again, she's a very, very intelligent woman. Yeah, she's really, really smart. And, she's, and I, think, I would say, also, yeah. she's a woman first, honestly. <laughs> she understands the world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's... it it she's likely been around a guy that's made her uncomfortable like this before even if it didn't necessarily get to this point so mm-hmm. yeah it you can just the tension is uh is very high in this scene i think it's just done really well this might be a, a stealth all-time episode of angel actually it could be and especially like performance wise it's really hard to discount it like pretty much everyone's got something great going on yeah because it's just it's just so upsetting. You don't really want to kind of like revisit it in a way. It's like like no one's gonna like casually put on Billy, you know. And then uh, we get Wesley backhanding Fred, and she has to do like the horror final girl run through the hotel, and he does uh, the two black guys quote unquote joke. Mm, yes. Which I think this is possibly the first time I ever heard that. 
I think this was probably the first time I ever heard that too. So yeah, it's, it's just like awful, but it just means that that's something that like, like Wesley had heard that joke before. Like that's, that's about another just piece of like shitty misogyny he'd internalized and now he's throwing it back out there. Do you imagine he heard it when he was uh, studying to be a watcher? I wonder. Yeah. He has a really tough relationship with his like family. Yeah. Either his father or like going up, like trying to be a watcher. It's one of those two. Yeah. Like I wondered if that, honestly, I wondered if that was from his dad. Like, yeah. Cause it's just jokes like that are so gross. And that's often the way it's the most chilling to hear this kind of stuff when it's framed as a joke. So it's just horrifying. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as she, she's running up the stairs, like Wesley, you know, he loosens up a tie, you know, being mm-hmm. a, being, getting back to his caveman roots. And yeah. then he, he's also, the weapons are right there, which is the issue with the weapons being right there in the lobby. Oh, uh, this toxic masculinity is making me thirsty. <laughs> and then we have Angel coming to see Chris Palaha, and it almost seems like Chris Palaha is like Boreanaz's like stunt double, which is what's happening here. So this is the scene we we're talking about where um this character, like Dylan, kind of reveals that there are rules to knowing Billy that everyone in his family is well versed with. You can't touch him, you don't leave him alone with your girlfriend or your pets yikes yeah so uh, he's not using his power on those pets he's just killing them yeah not a great dude and you know what maybe he can do things to women we don't know because he's so invested in doing things to men but it's very possible he could do things to women with his powers Mm -hmm. i don't know um latoya he said that he's never hurt a woman and i mean i'm inclined to believe him i don't have any reason not to you know, he was always a nice man, a nice young man. <laughs> he was always quiet. He, I never saw him do anything wrong. So therefore nothing bad could have ever happened. He was um, always nice to me. Uh, I'm going to flip a table. Um, but yeah, I love there. There's something about that. And maybe it's just that I was like excited to see Chris Paloha and I like wanted to give more to the performance, but, or I was just feeling exceptionally generous, but like, the idea of guys like this, the the idea of, like, the Hollywood abuser, the rich guy abuser, the idea that all of these people who are similarly privileged that circle around them and enable them rather than dealing with it in any way, that felt very lived in and realistic to me, the way he talked about kind of like washing his hands of it of like, oh, yeah, you mean you got to follow the rules with Billy because um, it's just the way he is. It's never. And that's why my family had him committed or that's why like yeah. we put him in jail. Like it's, it's no. That's it's, the thing we haven't discussed, which is the fact that he got that single cell in hell because his family had connections. Because it's interesting because Dylan is clearly like he's comes from this very privileged Kennedy-esque family and he's he's clearly not doing that. He's just like chilling in Hollywood partying. He's like having like a Leo life without like doing the Leo work, you know? You know, the kind of life that you and I live in LA when, you know, it like pre-lockdown, you know, you and me just live in large. <laughs> Making it rain everywhere we went. With our good friend, David Arquette. 
we can we, we can say we did see david arquette in one of our last outings out in the world this is true it, it, we spent new year's day with david arquette latoya and i and several other people <laughs> but mostly david arquette but mostly david arquette pretty fun but um i really liked that scene and i i love that um he tells angel that a girl told him that some melodramatic guy named angel would be coming by and this is this is why chris Palaha is actually like really great in his first role i like i didn't mean to like completely brag about how great he is but like he really is great in this episode when angel like just grabs him by the collar is like oh is this is this melodramatic <laughs> And he's like, ah, ah, fuck. Like, oh, so what you're saying is, is that this is melodramatic. <laughs> Good shit. And yeah, I just again, like the idea that I mean, these are the best jokes, like character based jokes that are about everybody knowing each other. Like it. I am surprised that Palaha didn't like join Joss's stable of actors. I think he could like pull it off. I was surprised, too, because I was like, this feels like an impressive audition to be included in, like, the Wheaton-verse. Mm-hmm. But um, it just didn't happen. Okay, so for Fred running through the Hyperion, did they go on location? Yeah, this must have been a location that they, like, redressed. Because there are long hallways and stuff like that that are probably tough to get, mm-hmm. um, would be tough to build. I wrote in my notes, this feels bad. Beguile me with your girlish ways. Fuck this shit. Uh, this is fucking gross. I'm a man vomit. We are bringing <laughs> Eve into this. Um, so as you can maybe tell by the tone of my notes, I'm very upset in this scene. Um, you're, you're going to share that last page, page of notes so they can all see, right? Like, Oh, I'll take some pictures of my notes that I've taken. Yeah, they're bananas. <laughs> yeah, because um, <laughs> there's a lot of no's on that last page. <laughs> Yes, I sent Latoya a picture when I was in the middle of it, and she was like, oh, look at your notes. <laughs> I definitely have quoted in my notes, I'm a man. Oh, oh. He gives her shit for hiding and deceiving. Um, it's nothing to do, again, the Eve bullshit, serpent bullshit. And yeah, this, is where, like- this is where in my notes I put, it's like charmed, but like I can imagine the same from charmed, but bad. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just very much like, like you're a tease, like it, it's the kind of like friend zony bullshit, yeah, like toxic nerd masculinity kind of stuff that you hear all the time. Which is, I think, which is the real issue I think with like Wesley further they establish here. It's like Wes went for fucking Cordy, <laughs> like he can go for Fred. It's not like that big a deal. Yeah, and I guess and it's also the idea that like I you know, our our Wes not under the influence of uh Billy, I'm sure feel maybe feels like the gentlest version of this stuff where he's just like, ah man, she's wearing the pretty dress again and here I am just being a dumb idiot wishing that I could make the move and I can't because I'm shy or whatever. It sucks um, because I th- feel like our Wes like he can make the move. Obviously, it takes him a while, as Cordy noted, but, like, he's gonna do it. Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Obviously, like I was saying, this amplifies the terrible parts of him. I, I, I don't think that he is, like, you know, all caps, nice guy. Yeah, I But that's I just what agree. is amplified here. You yeah. Know? I think he was on the path to actually doing what he wanted to do. Yeah, in his own way. He was just uh, going about it very slowly and Britishly. And, and he could he could fight it with in glasses. His, and one of his best friends, which is Cordelia, which is really, really sweet. 
Which the idea that they have grown from a place where she was like the the hot high school girl he had a crush on as an adult man, which I have notes, uh, to <laughs> now they are friends and equals and they treat each other with a lot of like respect and love and care um, is the thing that I think speaks the most volumes about him is that he's a good dude who sees women as people. Yeah, which also, um, I can't believe we didn't note uh, the best line of the episode, which is, speaking of Cor- <laughs> speaking of saliva. Speaking of saliva, where's Cordelia? <laughs> uh, a bad kiss. A really a awful. bad kiss. I love some of those, to watch a bad kiss. I've had some of those West Cordelia kisses. <laughs> I've had yeah. some of those in my life. Yeah, I've had a bad kiss. So Fred hides under the bed in this scene, and... Um, because uh, Wesley is smashing everything, she makes a distressed little sound, and he uh, finds her there and uh, pulls her up and shoves her against the wall and kisses her on the mouth. Uh, ew, ew. It, which, it's a no for me, folks. He, yeah, he says, uh, why do you make me do this? Fuck that. And she knees, like, knees him in the groin, and I'm like, fuck yeah. And most exciting of all, she has put nails between her fingers and punched him yeah, really hard. She is so like she's so ingenious. She's so fucking smart, and I just love it. Smart girls rise up. Yes, uh, but no, like it's again. It's the idea that it's really nice that like to. This is a story that I think is smart to tell at this point when Fred has like regained. I think like some semblance of like her like power and strength and yeah. confidence in herself. And to know what her place is in like all of Angel Investigations, basically. And, and I'm really proud that it doesn't seem like, like when we end this episode, she seems like she's over the experience, like to, you know, to like a healthy extent. She, where she's she like, understands the world in which they live. So she's not going to blame Wesley for this, even though he blames himself. Yeah, like, she's like, I'm sure it's an upsetting experience, and, you know, like, she is probably rattled by it, like, and, you know, dealing with it as she moves on. But, like, she's not like, oh, I can't even look at Wes anymore. She knows that wasn't him. And- because we 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 know that shows today would do that. Yeah, which I, which is re- a real bummer. I'm interested in Wes having a crisis of faith about himself and being, you know, worried that he is not the man he wants to be or the man he thought he was and having to deal with like the disgust of having those feelings inside of him that maybe you know aren't even his um but I I just so appreciate that Fred is smart enough and like like that the that the show has like faith and confidence in her to not um I don't know, for her to be able to get over it, I think shows so much like strength and, and grace on her part, which I think is like a really unique and great thing about Fred. This is why I, I, I love Angel so much. And I get upset when people act like only Buffy was the one who like the show that was like ahead of its time. Like Angel was very much ahead of its time in terms of certain things too. And it understood a lot. And like it also it was more I would say it's more ahead of its time in terms of just like the way it presents certain things, whether it's from just like widescreen to the yes. way it tells its stories in general. And I realized the point that I was uh circling around so intensely is that to continue to play this as a problem between 
Wes and Fred would feel like false drama because we know that these are not Wes's actions. Like Wes can have his own struggles with it internally, but we as an audience know that he was whammied by Billy. So to play like, I don't know, is that how you really feel? Like would feel very um, schmuck baby, which is a word I have loved uh, used in writer's rooms around me before. Like very like that kind of story where you see it and you're like, okay, well that's there to spin wheels because I know that's not Wes. Everyone should know that's not Wes. Like it, it's great. We just skate on by that, which I appreciate. I'm just gonna say right now. By the way, this is a great fucking episode of Angel on Top. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so relieved to hear that you think that we're um, doing that shit. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Don't say what. What? <laughs> um, you're darn right. <laughs> you damn skippy. <laughs> We go next to the like the tarmac where Billy is waiting for his private plane, um, his private jet, also known as a PJ for uh, listeners who love Vanderpump Rules. And stop it! <laughs> I'm banning Vanderpump Rules from my podcast. Banning Real Housewives unless it's Garcelle Vo situation, and or Lisa Rinna. I'll allow that, but that's it. You. I love Lucy Vanderpump. Um, And now I'm done talking about it. Uh, But yeah, Billy's waiting for his PJ and he is, you know, approached by Cordelia Chase. Cordelia Chase. Cordy shows up. She's got a crossbow. She's looking pissed as all heck. And like Billy is immediately the worst. (sighs) He's like, oh, are you here to whine? And I was like, this man must be dealt with. I'm actually I'm fascinated by his reaction because when she shows up, he's like, oh, do I know you? And he seems like a normal person. But once she says who she is, and for, like, an understandable reason, Mm -hmm. he's a little, he's the worst. I wondered if he thought she was, like, someone who was going to lead him to his jet, and that's why he was nice. Uh, She's like, I'm here to send you back. And then uh, Fred is still running, (sighs) and we had some real The Shining vibes. You know what? It's good. David Grossman's, like, direction is, like, really, really good in this episode, and it's, you know... Obviously, um, TV writing, like TV, is like a, a writer's medium, not so much the director. But I think like David Grossman, like, he he makes a mark in this episode. Yeah, I mean, the right director can make TV very cinematic, and you know, yeah. you and I can do the whole is TV movies is movies TV now debate for forever. I but as we know, TV is, is movies now, actually. So yeah, I mean, like movies wish they were TV in my IMO, um, but um, uh, Grossman. Uh, so he directed two episodes of Buff- uh, Angel before this, and then an episode of Angel after this. Season one of Angel, I will remember you. Oh, I'm familiar with the episode. <laughs> Season two of Angel, The Shroud of Ramon, which is also a gun showcase. Ooh. He he actually I think he's a is a pro gun director because after Billy he does Double or Nothing which is also a, a gun showcase this season. Yeah yeah yeah. Our boy 
Gun Squad? I love Gun so much. Getting to the part where Gun showed up in season one of Angel with Michael, I was just like dancing in my seat. I like could not wait for him. I wanted to see his face. Oh, yeah. Um, we determined, which means I determined, and Morgan said, okay, that we are the Gun Squad. That's our thing. Good, 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 Gun Squad. Um, pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew, pew. But yeah, the all the hotel like chase stuff like does feel like very horror movie and like is filmed very like evocatively and yeah, I like it. And then Knight in Shining Armor Gun shows up to to dun, dun, save dun. the day. Oh, I was so happy to see him, and he's so sweet. And as said in the previous Angel on Top episode, I do really believe that Gun is a himbo because his instant like wait. I wasn't supposed to touch the bloody handprint. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. I'm like, oh my God, he is the ultimate himbo. Sweet himbo. And he's just, he's trying his best. <laughs> J. Angus Richards, so hot in the show. I mean, he's obviously attractive mm-hmm. elsewhere, but like, I think like he's at his yeah, hottest gun, here. Gun cute, gun good. Leonard Roberts also, a very attractive man, still keeping it tight. Um, fuck Ellie Larder. <laughs> Kristen, you can cut that up if you want to, but also fuck Ellie Larder. Like I said in my tweet, that was one of the first Hollywood stories I ever heard when I moved out here about her racist ass behavior. So again, fuck Ellie Ugh. Larder. No thanks. Yeah, but also like uh fuck Billy. Cordelia Chase is an icon, which I wrote in all caps yes. in my notes. Yes. And honestly, I wish she killed him. It's a yeah, whole thing. Um like really fuck angel for uh stopping that from happening (laughs) he says he doesn't hate women who he calls whores who sell themselves for money or prestige but then he does say that men are just as bad for wanting quote what's under your skirt end quote billy Billy fucking stormed the Capitol, and like, you know Billy that's true. Billy coming live to us from the Access Hollywood bus. Like, what? Ew. I So I wish my, I kind of wish my mom stayed around to watch the whole episode because I feel like she would have <laughs> the best takes for Billy and all this bullshit. She'd be like, this fucking Trump motherfucker is what I, she would say. Yes, and I, I would like to hear, like, like, I, I would love to hear anyone go off on Billy because what a piece of shit. But this is, again, kind of coming back to that, like. Billy, I was going to say, Billy is the alt-right leader who gets punched in the face on live TV. Yes, is what he and is. I, um, forgive me for my um, alt-right lingo being rusty. I believe he is one of those guys who is, um, like, is it when you're black-pilled, when you are one of these guys who is perhaps straight but, like, refuses to have sex, like, bec- with women because it gives them power that is inherently, you know, yours and belongs to you? Like, is is that black? Because I know that's definitely Valsil, and that's it. also um, the, what the Proud Boys Vol- are up yeah, to. Yeah, he's, he's Valsil, and he's spewing some Valsil nonsense, and it's uh, super gross. Again, it's interesting to see the specific politics of uh, Billy's gross misogyny, but... Um, yeah, it's it's so upsetting because I like I like obviously all of Billy's bullshit is like we we know we know what it is and we can decipher it. But like I kind of just like want more to know what like the show would have done if like with more Billy basically. I like would they keep have would they have kept going down the correct path, which is what I think mm-hmm. they're doing here, 
or would they have like fumbled the bag honestly yeah and, and you know? i would have liked to have seen um all of our all of our guys have a little bit more time to unpack their experiences like being under billy's influence or just dealing with him in general like the episode does kind of just like end pretty quickly and and wesley really only gets his yeah. one scene with fred at the end and I, I would have liked to have seen more about how he felt about it just to like show like what the healthy version of all of the stuff looks like but obviously we all know mm-hmm. these guys are good and sweet <laughs> But yeah, that's that's also why this show is kind of ahead of the time. Again, we are huge Vampire Diaries fans, but like, like what is the usual thing is that this would have been a multiple episode arc for Billy besides just uh, that vision thing, introducing him and then this following up on that, which is like very different from what was happening on television in general besides Alias, which again premiered this season and which also yes. changed the game. For serialization this makes sense to like keep going on at least for a, an episode or two mm-hmm. after this but you know what they did what they needed to do they, they got through it they told you what what the deal was they made the thing and then because again the season without spoiling the season pivots mm-hmm. heavily it's not even spoiling because this is what it pivots too heavily is something that's been established from the first four episodes mm-hmm. also so and this is only episode six so yeah. and i mean it, it billy is treated very much like the monster of the week so you know we have dealt with him and therefore we are done dealing with him uh but it's just it's interesting to think about the idea of them like his effects like lingering on them and how it kind of feels because it seems like we leave Wes with so much to grapple with yeah gun is like hey what the hell happened to Wesley? <laughs> and that's where Himbo Gun shines through. He shines bright. He shines far. Don't be shy. Be a star. As he lives where he are by picking up the handprint with the blood. And he's like, let me touch this because this boy doesn't know when a, a demon head is not paper mache. He doesn't know when you should be touching fucking blood, finger pick handprints. Himbo. Fool, um, beautiful fool, uh, but uh, what a silly, silly boy. Um, and uh, so he's like, okay, shit. Well, um, if I like, you know, he was he and Fred were barricading yes. themselves inside that room, and he's like, well, if I have been infected essentially like, by those blood, then I need to get the fuck out of here. But unfortunately, that is when Wes uh, shoves his axe through the door, and now it is time for Plan B. <laughs> And plan B, um, so goes to try to plan B, but uh, Billy's blood affects him and he says something very upsetting and it's like, oh no. And he catches himself too, which is where I wrote my notes. I love gun, all caps, love. Yeah, gun hears the words coming out of his mouth and is like, oh shit. Like, like things are starting to happen that I am not in control of and therefore I need to be taken off the board. And he gets um, Fred a very hefty table leg and is like, smack the shit out of me, please. Yeah. And then she's That's like, That's an want- ally. She doesn't want to do it, Charles, because she calls him Charles. And I love that. So cute. Oh, she's because- so sweet. If if Gunn had a problem with him, like her calling him Charles, we would know she he had a problem with that. But he doesn't. No, I think he likes it. <laughs> Aw. And um, so she, she's like smacks, smacks him with it. And he's like, continues to say awful, hateful shit. And then she has to hit him again. 
Hot. And finally he goes down. But then she does the thing that infuriates me when any um, final girl does it in any horror movie, which is she, like, drops the weapon. And I'm like, <laughs> keep it. Keep the weapon. Keep the weapon. Keep your back to the wall. And um, be smart. <laughs> okay, here we're, we're back on the tarmac. And Angel is here. And he's trying to get Courtney to leave. And we're supposed to think, like, oh, this is part of his, like, misogyny thing. It's No, it's just part of his hero thing. <laughs> We should also note, just especially for the future, like, Angel doesn't think that Cordelia is incapable. It's just that because he cares so much about her, he wants to protect her. Like, he wants to protect all of them. Like, if any of, honestly, if any of Team Angel were in this kind of situation, he would do the same thing. Yeah, and he also just knows how dangerous Billy is and knows how, like, that this is clearly, like, a person who will fight dirty and will do awful, ugly things, especially to women. So, like, I obviously he's, like, afraid for Cordy. But Cordelia is being so great, and she's just like, I can't leave you. Like, I won't. And I um, am emotionally compromised. <laughs> and again, she she she's like, this is my fault. And Angel's like, no, it's not your fault. Yeah, so then uh, Billy does the only relatable thing he does in the episode, and that's put his hands on David Boreanaz's <laughs> face. Oh, I thought you were saying put his hands on the ground and like do a weird. I don't know what that is. He does that's, a weird that's, ground that's pound. Actually, that's why this is an A minus. It's because of the ground pound. It's like some Donkey Kong shit. I was very confused. Is he getting misogyny out of the ground? So you see, misogyny comes from the Earth's core. It's primordial, is what you're saying. It's primordial. It's the primordial ooze from which we came out of, which is at the okay, Earth's Okay, Ivan. <laughs> That's me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so poor Cordelia is trying to aim her crossbow at two people who are fighting, which is, you know, not easy. And then she gets her clean shot. She's aiming her crossbow. And then we hear blam, blam, blam. And he goes down. And if you're me, you're like, that's not the sound a crossbow makes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we What's reveal the, I'm sorry Morgan what is the sound a crossbow makes <laughs> that's what I assume which, it makes which one is it all three kind of like a combination depends on the crossbow you know it depends on like the materials um actually if i pulled out my matte fraction hawkeye comics i could probably find some good arrow sound effects but I will spare you guys uh, me sifting through those and waiting. You hear that? Morgan's a comic girl. Yeah, a little nerd. Um, don't dox her. Please don't. I don't know anything. But yeah, also, um, Billy's shit doesn't work on Angel. Which fucking rules. Like, cool. Like, I, I appreciate that they backfill it later and, like, explain why it doesn't. Because uh, at the time I was like, oh, okay, because, like, because Angel's awoke bay, uh basically, but also it, it's especially great because as we're uh, conditioned to think maybe it will work on him because we just had um in our our beloved Carpe Noctum Marcus's uh, magic working on him after he's like it's not going to work on me and it immediately worked on him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's yeah, it 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 depends on the thing, but uh we reveal that Lila is the one who uh shot Billy, which I mean, you know, good for her. <laughs> So after Fred knocks uh, Charles out, oh, Charles, <laughs> Charles, <laughs> she has to um, deal with Wesley still, and she fucking knocks him out with a Home Alone contraption. 
that ruled she made like a little bear trap it's it's so cute and i'm so proud of her and uh it's right after wes uh, says do you want to know my theory my theory is that you're stupid and i wrote in my notes my theory is that i'm mad and then i wrote (laughs) bonk in all caps yeah because his whole thing is like she'll retreat to small dark places which she does because you know your trauma mm-hmm. but also as we know again fredless she likes she likes to make contraptions she likes to make weapon contraptions you stupid asshole bye <laughs> so uh so now fred's safe and our next scene is uh angel and cordelia training again and we're back and- to nice vibes <laughs> and i i noted here and it's like it's apparent in the first scene like charisma's like very good at this this whole her her movements are very fluid like david's been doing this since he's been doing tai chi on buffy Mm -hmm. you know but this is new for charisma yeah and i think like it i appreciate that they the like in-show reasoning where she's just like yeah i'm a dancer i'm good with choreography because that is in general like something that's true like people who are dancers and have dance training usually tend to be inherently good at not just fighting but even more specifically fight choreography this is in my notes where i wrote woke bay angel can't be whammied and smiles with a heart yeah because he says it didn't work because he doesn't have like that hatred and anger that like billy tapped into which is for you know, it's true, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea that he's like, I like the evil I've done has always come from this like place of like hedonism and like seeking like pleasure through the pain of others, um, and uh, you know, drinking the blood and doing the evil. It's never been yeah. like an anger thing. And with his soul, he just feels a lot of remorse and bad for everything. So he's not, he's, again, he's not driven by a place of, like, anger and resentment. He just, he's sad. Yeah. He's too sad for it to work on him. I also, I, I love how casual this whole scene is, too. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it feels, it's a very safe place to bring it back to. Like, especially even the idea of, like, how they're dressed and, like, you know, like, Cordy's in her, like, workout gear, which is, like, you know, like, more skin tight and form-fitting and stuff. And there's no like the the way the camera views her is like very like respectful and not like you know like the way Zack Snyder shoots Wonder Woman in Justice League like you know if we're not just like looking right at her butt or anything like that even though perhaps I looked respectfully at her butt um it's really nice like the fact that it returns to a place that is very gentle and feels kind of like vulnerable in the way that they're like dressed in the way that they're treating each other like it it really does give you the sense of like, okay, we've we've put a lot of this like away. Like both of us are okay again and our heels yeah. and everything between us is fine. They're not dwelling on like the fact that Angel had to come in, in his mind had to come save her. There's there's nothing about that. There's there's no baggage about what happened at the tarmac, basically, for them, which is in contrast to what we have with Wesley and Fred in the final scene. Yeah. Which is very sad. <laughs> Fred is like showed up. She's like, Wes, I've been calling you. Like I've left a lot of messages. And he is just like so clearly wrecked. And like you've mentioned, like the the light and the darkness in the episodes, like he's just like sitting in the dark alone in his apartment, um, which, you know, uh, relatable. 
but um not a good sign um yeah fuck like it, he really thinks this was something that was inside of him that he now needs to contend with yeah it's been days and she even says like you're the boss we need you and again obviously angel like pulls off the role of like i'm gonna you know jump over a gate because i can and but even he acknowledges like wesley is the one in charge like he is the one helming this ship Mm -hmm. so they they are aware that wesley is the boss and he is in charge and they do need him and fred is the one who decided fred literally took the initiative to be the one to go see him which is it's it's a huge step for her honestly mm-hmm. she even tells him it wasn't something in you it was something that was done to you which it, you know really makes sense for what how we're saying Billy's powers actually worked it's just like he just has this moment where he like chokes out that he's sorry and his voice just keeps like completely disappearing on him like that he like can't even bring himself to to look at her like the amount of shame that he's clearly holding like you know right in his chest is is like pretty overwhelming like it's it's a really it's a very raw performance and yeah. i think it's so good and he just says he, do- he doesn't know what kind of man he is anymore and fred's like you're a good man and i'm a mess <laughs> and without spoiling i I'm just like thinking about it i really feel like this moment is what drives and affects Wesley for the rest of the season, possibly the rest of the series, honestly. And it's it's interesting to end this episode that is a lot about kind of like the like about like violence against women and a like a man who has the power to incite this kind of misogynistic rage in men to end on Wesley being the one person who can't get over it is is kind of interesting and I, I was going back and forth about it like are are we saying like Wesley is the biggest like you know victim of all of this like mm-hmm. I don't I, I think that would be a bad message to send yeah. but I think instead it's trying to tell us like a more nuanced thing about how like the patriarchy like cuts both ways mm-hmm. and can be yeah. like harmful to men as well in the way that it encourages a kind of like toxic and ugly behavior that can get out of control um mm. and can because hurt I think, people before you know you're even exhibiting yeah. it yeah because i think the fact that the trauma is not on fred is just that because again she is a woman she was a woman in on earth before she was on pilea mm-hmm. she understands the world in, in that way and she is of course getting back to what the, the this world is like so she's able to process and she's able to know the difference between like a piece of shit who's harassing her and like something happened to Wes that made him do that. Yeah. She she knows the difference. She's able to parse that. And that's why it's not about her trauma in the situation, because this is a situation where she knows that the one who was actually violated was Wesley. Because he was. Wesley yeah. both Wesley and Gunn were violated. Gunn was able to to, to fight it and talk his way through it. But mm-hmm. Wes, unfortunately, was not. Yeah. And I mean, and it, but largely because also like Gunn was told what was happening to him. Yeah. Whereas like Wesley like knew what had been going on and knew like the cases, but he didn't know that he had like infected himself. It's just it's really sad. Like he, he yeah. really is like taken over by this thing and doesn't have a chance to fight it until he's doing something that he doesn't know how to take back. 
Uh, I'd say it's a much better version of Beauty and the Beasts from season three of Buffy. Yes. I was going to say like that, like that, that is one of kind of the similar, like kind of reductive things about male anger that I think the series has handled before. And I do think this is more like nuanced and interesting. I, cause I, I think Tim Maneer and Jeffrey Bell are both fucking great writers for Angel and Jeffrey Bell goes on to be a showrunner for the show, mm-hmm. I will say. But I, I do I really wish there was like a female voice for this episode. That's the that's the one thing I like have. I will say that is like the one thing that is missing. Like the cause like some things about the like Lila and Cordelia scene, like the dialogue snappy and I love them going at each other about shoes and like i i love owning calling yourself a vicious bitch um which does feel very correct to both of them but there is something that's like missing that that authentic thing that i feel like you always have when you have a female writer writing for a female character like it's just feels like the kind of thing that should be there i you know what you know what's um crazy i think that um, Marty would have been much better as the showrunner for Angel than Buffy, actually, considering her her dark tone. Oh, that is actually I I I would have loved to have seen that. That is a fun alternate universe pitch. Yeah, like make Jane Espenson the showrunner for Buffy and Marty Knox in the showrunner for Angel. Yes, please. And that's <laughs> it. And we're not doing fuck watch because. I mean, our fuck watch is just Chris Palaha, right? Oh, uh, yeah. That's the yeah. safest bet. Look, if we have to, let's just say yes, because we and that really doesn't uh, fuck us up for any future episodes. So that's a safe choice. With that, I will talk about um, the episode of WB series that uh, I think Angel should watch. Uh, yes, please. Angel is a vampire. Does he even watch TV? I think he I like think he'd like the, the WB. WB. <laughs> Angel is a vampire. Does he even like TV? I think he'll like the WB. They got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. Um, so what I'm going to go with is um, an episode of the one season WB series, Black Sash, uh, episode six, which was the final aired episode of the series. Not the final produced episode, uh, but because those pro- for- produced episodes after this never aired. Hey, if you work at Warner Brothers and you have those masters, send them my way. In this episode... Um, the character Allie, played by Sarah Carter, she meets a college boy who decides that uh, taking photos without uh, the teenage girl's consent is actually good. And for some reason, she decides to date this boy. And it's it's bad. And you know who says it's bad? Her best friend, played by Missy Peregrim, uh, her best friend Tori, who's like, this is bad. And they have a little spat, and that's bad. But the thing that happens is they eventually realize this guy is bad. And they bond by beating this piece of shit up, set to the tunes of Evanescence's Bring Me to Life. Should I start bringing up Bring Me to Life in every episode? Uh, Maybe. Yes, please. The reason I'm choosing this, uh, besides um, gay, (laughs) it's just like, you know what? Women can do whatever they want. They can beat up men set to Bring Me to Life because that's what we're doing in 2003. They can also just... uh, 
be friends who have meet cutes with Missy Peregrine being on a motorcycle, and they're definitely just friends. They're definitely just gal pals. Um, <laughs> I can't really, honestly, it was hard for me to find an episode for this episode because everything we've just said for the past two fucking hours. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know what? Something with girl power and gayness. And just so you know, at the end of that episode, which again is the last episode that aired at Black Sash, it ends with the two of them sparring in the gayest possible way. What are your plugs, baby girl? Uh, my plugs, thank you so much for asking, are just that uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lorgan Mudich. Uh, I'm that on whatever platform you may be interested in following me on, if I have it. And uh, also, please listen to Latoya and I's other podcast, The Empire Diaries, which is covering the show, you guessed it, The Vampire Diaries. And it's uh, really fun. And we are also joined by our dear friend, Jill. Um, and what are your plugs? My plugs are at Lafergs, And from there, you can click on my little Tumblr blog and you can find my email so you don't um, email the wrong black female critic when you're trying to hire me for things. Just so you know. Um, Jesus. But also, did you see that tweet? I did. And what the fuck? Jane <laughs> literally texted me. She, she showed me the screen cap. She's like, it says, hey, LaToya. And it emailed right to her. Do better. And she's like, the other day, someone emailed me trying to email Angelica Jade Bastien from Vulture. Too better. Angelica, who will definitely be on the podcast in the future because she has angel opinions and she always gives me shit for preferring angel to Buffy. Oh my God, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, uh, you can also follow us on the Twitter and Instagram at angelontopcast, baby. Email us at angelontoppodcast at gmail.com. Go to angelontop.com immediately for our Patreon, which will, we'll be having uh, some live watches. Mm-hmm. Our next episode is Angel Season 3, Episode 7, Offspring. And all I'll tell, tell you for that episode is, all the girlies say, Angel's pretty fly. For a white guy. Good God. (laughs) It's a wrap, baby. Monsters lurk in the shadowy corners of the internet. Our darkest fears peer back at us from the depths of the web. 
We can all... <coughs> hey, holy... Hey. Linda Blair. Are you all right? No. Can we maybe do this a different tone? Hey there, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. On our podcast, Digital Folklore, we explore monsters, memes, and everything in between. Looking at our digital expressions through the lens of folklore, we break down the stories and communities we create online. And we try to make it a lot of fun. The show is presented in an audio drama style with a narrative and soundscape that's designed to draw you in. We weave insightful research and expert interviews with humor and storytelling. Come check it out. Search Digital Folklore wherever you get your podcasts.